For some of you, it's your first time. For others, it is not. But for today, I would like to welcome you all to Epic Realms. Friends and enemies, heroes and villains, welcome to Epic Realms. Our guest today is an award-winning author, podcaster, voice actor, holds multiple degrees. His science fiction series, The Golden Age of the Solar Clipper, is loved by many. He has written sci-fi, fantasy, steampunk, urban fantasy. The list is endless. Please welcome Nathan Lowell to Epic Realms. Welcome, Nathan. Thanks for joining us. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. Thank you very much. Good to be here. Your, your website lists this long list of degrees. Was education something that was always a big part of your life growing up? No. Well, I, being educated certainly was, but participating in it as a, uh, as a professional, no. No, it was uh, something I came in too late in life, actually. I've had five or six, depending on how you count them, careers in different fields, so... Uh, yeah, education was sort of like I fell into it rather than chose it. Yeah. Just sort of happened. Did you enjoy school as a kid growing up or was it one of those I want to be out in the world enjoying other things or doing other things? No, school was good. I liked school. Um, I had school was where the books were. So yeah. I, I could go to I could read. <laughs> and reading has always been a big, a big part of my life. So science, science fiction in particular, fantasy. Uh, yeah, growing up was 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 good. Um, I graduated from high school in 1970s, and that was right right in the heat of the Vietnam War. So, yeah. I I didn't go to college right out of right out of high school. I didn't I didn't really start until after I got out of the service, and then didn't actually get a bachelor's degree until I was 40. Okay. Uh, so, it, yeah, school was sort of like catch as catch can, as long as I could, and then sort of fell into educational technology when we moved out here to Colorado. Okay. Did you enjoy writing growing up or when you were in the military? Did you get much time to do writing? Oh, yeah, I got time, but I never did anything with it. I was, yeah. You know, it's like, it, it's one of those, you always wanted to, but never could really because the technology wasn't there. The stories that I wanted to tell were not the stories that people wanted to buy, to try, to sell, to bookstores, and I, I didn't, I didn't write the things that publishers wanted, yeah. and so it's like about once a decade I would try and and fail, and then go back to whatever it was I was doing, and then try again ten years later, um, and it was oddly it was my day job that got me into audiobooks, which got me into podcasting which really set the stage for what I was have been able to do since. What do you think were some of the big barriers when you were coming through? And like, cause you said you were submitting things and, you know, getting turned down. Was it just that that's not what they were looking for? Or was it just the, no. the, the, well, the world well, at large, the, the way the world was working at the time? It, the, the biggest problem was that I didn't know how to tell a story. Okay. <laughs> uh, I wrote, I started, I don't know, a dozen novels and, I never finished them. I'd get, I'd get halfway through, or I get two weeks into it and throw up my hands in disgust and walk away. So uh, I, a lot of it was, I just didn't know. I didn't have a story. I didn't have a real good story to tell. Yeah. And it took me a long time to find a story to tell. And what I did, it's it took. So, did your process change over that time when you were? you know, before when what something wasn't working, did you eventually like change your process? Like maybe go from an outline to a not outline or vice versa or anything yeah. like that? 
No, I've always always been a pantser. I have a hard time with outlines. If if I know what the if I know what the ending is, then I sort of lose incentive to try to find it. Um, it's like I write to find out what the ending is going to be, and so if I know what the ending is, that's kind of mm, eh, take it or leave it. the The biggest the biggest change was word processor. Yeah, because uh, when I started, everything was on the typewriter. Right. So editing wasn't super easy. Uh, editing was not super easy. Editing editing meant okay, take this pile of paper and type it again. Oh yeah. Uh, so that was always that was always a struggle. It was it was a long time before I got to the point where you know word processing made a difference. Uh, so now my process is my process is pretty much the same as it's been since I started being serious about it in two thousand seven. Yeah. Uh, and it's mostly, I have, I have a character, I have a setting, I have an idea of what just happened and I write what happens next. And as long as I can keep writing what happens next, the story keeps going. And then eventually I, I write off the end of the, and go off the cliff at the end. And it's like, oh yeah, that, that was the last sentence. <laughs> Do you ever have a problem where you're like, I think I'm going to be done, you know, in this next chapter. And then you realize, nope, I've got like three more chapters to go. Oh Yeah. How do oh, you yeah. that? that happens all the time and the opposite happens i think i've got two chapters to go and i write off i write the last line i sit down and think okay i've got you know it's probably going to be another week before i get to the end of this thing and then 15 minutes later i've written the last chapter do you ever find a problem it's like well i've got to meet a certain quota for whatever purpose and then i gotta insert or no no yeah it, one of the advantages of, of self-publishing is that i I never worry about what my publisher is going to do with the book. Um, my publisher is always going to accept my next novel. Right. And I I don't have to worry about, you know, oh, it has to be, and it has to be between a hundred and a hundred and twenty thousand words. It has to be between ninety and a hundred and twenty-five thousand words. Nah, that's bullshit. <laughs> um, the, the one the one problem I had, I had a book that was two hundred and twenty-five thousand words long. And that was a problem because I couldn't with without shrinking the, the font size down below readability i couldn't get it printed in the number of pages that was the maximum for um what at the time was create space but is now kdp yeah. so i couldn't i couldn't get the print the print on demand short enough in pages to be able to get that number of words out without shrinking the font size down to a level where i would have had trouble reading it Oh man! So what'd you end up doing with that? I dropped up thirty-five thousand words. Oh, <laughs> I thought maybe you were going to say that you split it into two or something. Yeah, no, I, I I bit the bullet and went back through. That was the only one that I had I had problems with length over. Um, my my sweet spot's hundred k. So okay. when I sit down to write, I sit down to write a hundred thousand word novel. And if I get ninety, great. If I get one hundred and twenty, fine. If I get one hundred and fifty, cool. I go over 175 then i start thinking uh is this really the story i want to tell because i don't really want to have that heartburn in terms of trying to get it put into paper so my lazy factor kicks in and says now nah, this is <laughs> this is this is out of line um, but that said the, the three books that i've got coming up this year i hope uh, i wrote them all in a line I didn't know where one ended and the other began until I got to the very last page of the very last book and realized that the 370,000 words that I'd written was actually three books and not one. And I went through and found where the breakpoints were. Okay. I've been putting them together ever since. Nice. You talked a little bit about the, the, the difficulties, you know, early on trying to get going and, and get started. And you mentioned that in about 2007, you discovered podcasting and patio books and stuff like that you want to tell yeah. us a little bit about like how you came into that genre of of stuff and kind of how that helped you well um my day job at the time was as technologies director for the national center on severe and sensory disabilities and my job was helping um universities and colleges that had master's degree programs in special education Okay. And the problem is that this very specialized blindness, visual impairment, 
deafness, hard of hearing, significant support needs, those master's programs across the country were, were folding up because they all had residential requirements and there weren't enough people in state to support their programs. So they were all closing. And that was a big problem in the field. And so my job is to try to figure out how to offer those programs online. Okay. Uh, and one of the challenges was that a lot of our teachers, a lot of our students were in rural areas where there was not any kind of broadband. They were all on dial-up. Some of yeah. them were on 300 baud, um, which if that's probably Greek to a lot of people at this point, but that was that was pretty common. Yeah. Uh, so how do we get high bandwidth content or what we think of now today is, is pretty common. How do we get that to people who who can't even you know, load a web page in a reasonable amount of time? Right. Uh, and so one of the things that occurred to me when I started listening to Adam and, and the rest of the guys who started out podcasting at the end of 2004, I thought, well, here is a way for me to get high bandwidth content over a low bandwidth tube right. by offsetting it so that the students lessen downloads while they're sleeping. Yeah. And then they can listen to it the next day or watch it the next day or read it the next day. And so I needed to know how podcasting worked. And by the beginning of 2007, I thought, well, if I'm going to learn how to do it, then probably the best way to do it is do it. Right. And by then I had discovered patio books and the patio books people were having a lot of fun. Uh, patio books was uh, people who wrote long form fiction would then create a podcast chapter by chapter or half hour by half hour, or whatever. Right. Uh, and so they would release their, their novels as podcasts. Yeah. And, and so I thought, well, okay, that, and they were having a lot of fun. And I thought, you know, having fun sounds like a really good idea. Right. Um, I like to have fun. Fun is good. We like fun. Uh, so I thought, all right, well, if I'm going to learn how to podcast and I want to have fun, then writing a novel and podcasting it seems like it would teach me a lot about how podcasting works. And right. I was right. And it did. The, the kicker was, of course, I had to write a novel. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> and so um I think it's January twelfth, two thousand seven, I sat down and wrote the first line of the first book and put it together in about ten days and revised it over the next week and recorded it in the front seat of my car on a cheap iRiver IFP seven ninety nine. Crappiest audio you ever heard in your life but right. it took off and people loved it and the next thing i knew i had to write a sequel and then another and then it just sort of got out of hand and here we are today and here we are today yeah. did you have Someone any practice broke. did you have any practice doing like performing arts or voice yeah. work or was it just like i'm just yeah. going to read this as is and it's going to be good well no not really i I had a lot of experience listening to a lot of podcasts because okay. at that point I had listened to every one of the books that was available on patio books. And you know how they say borrow or steal from people who do things right. Yep. Uh, the other thing, the thing that I did was that I went through and found the things that I didn't like to make sure that I didn't do those. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so it, it's good to, to copy the stuff that you like but it's also good to say that that doesn't work for me i'm not going to say it's wrong but i'm just going to say that doesn't work for me and i'm not going to do that yeah so um the way my books went together from the beginning was for i knew i was going to have to read them uh i learned a lot about <laughs> i learned a lot about how to put a sentence together so that when you read it it actually sounded like the sentence that you wanted and not something weird yeah uh so yeah, uh, I did I did eight books, nine books, and then did a lot of work for some other people. I did uh, the Cowrie Catchers series for Abby Hilton. And I did a bunch of stuff for a bunch of people. 
that was fun. It was I had a lot of fun and I learned about podcasting and I learned about storytelling and I learned about well, I learned about social media. Yeah. I was on I've been online since long before it was since social media. So <laughs> long before Facebook or even AOL instant messenger. Um BBS. I was oh. online. I was online before the internet, really. Yeah, that predates um, me, that's for sure. I was on I was on the internet before it was the web. Wow. Did you find that reading it, because you mentioned that, you know, it helped you like put a sentence together. Did you find that overall reading it out loud um, helped you with your writing in general, like telling stories and understanding like how things should go in order or any of that kind of stuff? No, no, no. Uh, it, it helps. It, it helps me understand how particularly dialogue should sound. Uh, it's it's really it's really easy to hear bad dialogue and you go oh yeah but changing the story no no changing how the story unfolds no uh, those those don't have a lot of bearing on on what they sound like uh, the story is the story and the the sound of the story never never really came to bear for me for in in that aspect but knowing where to put the dialogue text uh a lot of you listen you listen to people and and somebody you know a narrator a narrator has this long involved statement from somebody who who proclaims for 40 50 seconds at a time yeah and then you get to she said and it's like wait a minute who was it again right uh, and and so you learn to put the dialogue tags early. You learn to put action tags early. You learn to not do things like he said, she said all the time. Yeah. Uh, it and and the challenge is then taking that same text and putting it on a page because on a page you don't really have to worry about that too much. The the lay on the the way the text lays on the page tells the reader who's talking, but you have to make sure that that's there when you're going to do it in audio. Yeah. And so I think. The audiobook narrators have have a break for me because I write I write as if I was going to have to read it, and yeah. so I'm pretty sure I know that they're going to be able to read it. That was going to be my next question: is if you started to read it, to write it for podcasting or for audio, uh, and you kind of answered that a little bit there that that is kind of the case uh, as yeah, far as structure. I, it, well, the structure of the sentence, yeah, the structure of the story, no. Right, right, for sure. But yeah, yeah. When you, because you said you had done some reading for some other people, right? That, did I ever mm -hmm. hear you right? Did they, yeah. did that become an issue at all where you're like reading it and you're like, oh, this sentence just is, is weird no. or wrong? And did you have... No, 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 I just, I just did the sentence as it was given to me. Okay. Uh, I, it, was, it would be, I, I often put emphasis in places where the original author didn't which was challenge was it was a challenge for them to hear me interpret their words but um i never had anybody come back to me and well except for abby hill uh, <laughs> abby hill, the cowrie catches is a full cast audio and oh, so okay. i only had i only had one part to read i only read the dialogue for my character uh and so she would come back to me and say no you, you, this this is too flat you got to give me more you got to give me more. yell some do do something with this 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 one is too flat this one is too this one is uh and we i had problems with a name um a, a common name to me uh and a common name for her but for me the common name was feral f e r r e l l okay and for her the common name was Pharrell. F E R R E L L. Yeah. And so uh, we ran into that a couple of times until I trained myself to to say this to say the name the way she wanted and not the way that I heard it in my head. Yeah. Uh, so that was always you know, it's always a challenge to work with another author, to work with a, another producer, to try to create create their vision, to help them create the vision that they wanted. Yeah. Uh, so that was good. But I read short stories. I did um I did a Alan Steele, Emperor of Mars. He won a Hugo for that story. Oh, nice. Uh, and I did, I did the audio for it. And it was on Starship Sofa. And uh, that was fun because he 
he he thanked Starship Sofa and me for for doing the audio for the book. It was fun. It was a great book. That's it was cool. a great. It was. It's not a book. It was a. I think it was a short story. It might have been a a novelette or something, but it yeah. was a short piece. But Hugo's nothing to to sneeze at, regardless. Yeah. Well, I didn't. I didn't get the Hugo. He no, did, but but, that's, but still, that's fine. Yeah. Yes, I read a I read a Hugo winning award award there you go. A, a Hugo award winning story. <laughs> Did you uh what do you think of the evolution of podcasting and audiobooks from, you know, 2007 to now where it's like you get whole editing suites and you've got editors and directors and producers uh, doing a lot of that stuff and you know they're going in and they're remastering it and they're doing sound editing whereas before you said you did it in the front seat of your car and it was you know you did it and it was done yeah i did it and it was done um it's it's one of those things it's like it's gotten overly complex mm -hmm. uh I, I i talk to people all the time and say well you're gonna do a podcast when do you have time to do a podcast and it's like um well, I, you know, I got 20 minutes. What do you want? <laughs> what does it have to be? And the the idea that it has to be this sort of highly produced, smooth, absolute sound. Ugh. No, no. Uh, in, in the beginning, uh, the fact that it was just somebody talking to you was was good enough uh, yeah. for the for for reading reading is a little reading has a performance to it so reading a novel is sort of you sort of have to perform the novel you have to you can read it um or you can read it yeah and, and so my goal was to always have to be the storyteller in their head and the storyteller in their ears to tell them the story that was on the page in front of me i, I think that's probably why the first books were all first person so that i could do that yeah and when i when i started i i said well okay i channel my my npr npr announcer <laughs> voice and what would that sound like and what would what where does the inflection fall and is there inflection and how much do i want to try to do voices and the answer was not very much yeah. <laughs> um but the the i i'm still i'm I'm so old school at this point that I I get I get upset when I I hear a podcast doesn't have an RSS feed, and it's like, why don't you have an RSS feed? Well, we, you, know, you don't need one. It's like, yeah, you do. Yeah, you do. It's sort of the definition. Sort of the definition of a podcast. It's uh, anything that's delivered via RSS. It's sort of you know that's whatever you want to call it. It's if you're just downloading it, that's downloading it if you're only doing it live that's streaming yep i mean they're technical terms they mean things <laughs> but the, the problem the problem with podcasting i think the problem that podcasting faces is faces is the same things that um fiction authors face in terms of uh, do i go with a publisher who's going to do all of this extra work to to polish and shine and make it fit their box or am i going to self-publish and make a box that fits me yeah uh, and so i think there's a lot of room for podcasting still for the individual podcaster for you know for the little guy for lack yeah. of a better term yeah or the little gal for lack of a better term for the for the person who says all right i'm going to sit down with a microphone and i'm going to do the thing and or in my case i'm going to go take a walk and do the thing yeah uh and i don't i don't see as a problem necessarily other than the the idea gets sort of inculcated that it takes a lot of equipment it takes a lot of time it takes a lot of effort it takes a lot of this it takes a lot of that it takes a lot of what it takes is an idea and a willingness to do it if you got that rock on yeah. Um, but the the problem is this perception that has grown up with oh, I can't compete with NPR. You know, all of the big names have got you know all the news channels have their own podcasts. All the and you know everybody's got their own podcast and it's all polished and it's all right. spiffy. And I've got to do that too, or it's not really a podcast. And that's you know uh, there's a term for that, and and it's the term is bullshit. <laughs> 
I fall a little bit into that. I like to make sure that I edit it and I get, you know, background sounds up. But other than that, I just, yeah, I just leave, leave it. Like most of the ums and ahs in a conversation, I I leave a lot of those in there. Like if it's over, you know, if it, if it takes away from the story or takes away from the conversation, then yeah, I'll, I'll pull something out. But otherwise, yeah, yeah, you got to do that sometimes. Yeah. But I mean, for the most part, uh, you know, it's like, yeah, no. And I always Uh, tell people, I'm like, I'm not Adam Carolla. I'm not, and I never will be, and I don't think I ever want to be. But you know, that's I still the have... thing. <laughs> you don't want to be, right? Uh, it was when I started writing. It's like I can't out Weber David Weber. I'm not going <laughs> to write. Sci- I'm not going to write the science fiction that that um, John Ringo writes. I'm not going to write the science fiction that that David Weber writes, or any of any of them. I'm going to write the science fiction that I write because I'm the only one who can write my science fiction. So why don't I write mine? Right. And figure out what mine is going to be. Well, and your stories are just, there's something just different. The pacing feels different. The story, the way the stories are told is different. I, you know, I tell people this and I don't, I don't know if you might not agree or not, but I always, I've been telling people that it reminds me, there's a movie called Lethal Weapon that came out in the eighties and there's something different about it that they have just real conversations and you see just real life stuff in there and it's it's like you can't have the show without those pieces those characters would not be the same um and you look at it from the surf and it's like those that doesn't need to be there but when you really look at it it needs to be there to tell the story and that's kind of how i feel about your books it's like you see these like just somebody brewing a cup of coffee like yeah brewing a cup of coffee isn't a big deal but in the terms of understanding these characters that you make or the way that you tell them it definitely means something and it and it changes the pace of it um and it's it's i'm sorry but it's an amazing amazing new different feel for me when i got a hold of one of your stories it's like this is completely different from everything else and i love it thank you Um, you. how did that come to you was it just something that just happened or was it something you intentionally went out to do oh no it was intentional it was absolutely intentional it was absolutely like i one of one of the challenges is when you when you sit down to write it's like, what am I going to write? And because I spent more than half a century reading science fiction, I I knew what stories I wanted to read. And I was growing tired of the space opera that was already, was really only military science fiction. And I thought, isn't there something that, isn't there a, isn't there a space opera we can tell that is not about the military? Uh, aren't there other stories that might be of interest that aren't let's have a war yeah you know the pew pew we're going to have a we're going to we got to have aliens we've got to have a war we've got to have conflict it's like well yeah we got to have conflict but we don't have to have a war um and so i thought well what if we didn't send a military it's hard to have a war if you don't have a military. So what if we sent freighters instead of frigates? What if, what would that universe look like if it got explored and settled by corporate interests? What would that do to the people who were working there? And why is it always the captain? Why is it always the guy that's got the most agency or the woman that's got the most agency that's the, the lead in that story? It's like, well, yes, but that's, that's what readers want. And it's like, mm, maybe, maybe not. Um, that's what readers get. Right. They must, they, do they have a choice? Is there, is there something else out there? And the answer is no, not really. So my goal is to put something else out there. And it's like, well, what's the definition of a hero? A hero is a person who gets up in the morning and does a dead-end job for 40 years to keep food on the table in his kid's bed and you can't tell me that's not a hero yeah and so it's like all right well what kind of stories can i tell what what would what would that look like how would that how would that be shaped by having just sort of like things that real people would do what would somebody do what would be something real that somebody would be doing and so mess deck attendant on an interstellar freighter somebody has to do that job yeah 
can I tell a story about that and have it be intriguing? And it turns out that yes, yes, I can, apparently. Yeah. So uh, it, virtually everything I write has that same sort of aesthetic to it. It's like, I don't, I've got a problem with Ishmael Wong because now he's rich. He's the rich guy with with agency and and a captain, and it's like ah, it's, he's kind of outgrown his his I won't say his usefulness, but he's he's sort of outgrown my original idea for him, which is kind of why I'm, I'm writing in other areas now. Yeah, you had a lot of love for science fiction, and. Yeah. How was that? What what kind of inspirations did you have writing science fiction that kind of led you to these some of these stories? I mean, I know you said that there wasn't a lot that was necessarily the same, but what are some of the the big science fiction things that you really loved? Oh, I came I came up on I started with Heinlein juveniles back in the fifties, so um, a lot of those stories. It's a lot of the, I liked a lot of those stories. The, they you kind of opened my eyes to the possibilities of science fiction, of, of novels, of reading. Uh, I, I, my, my aunt was a big reader, and she would stop by our house about once every other month with a, a doubled grocery bag full of paperbacks, and uh, a lot of those were ace doubles. Okay. Ace Double was a was a mass market mass market size paperback, and it on one it it was called a double because it actually had two novels in it, two short novels, but it had two novels in it. And they, if you looked at the cover, you could read through till halfway, and then all the pages were reversed. So you turn the book over, and what was the back cover now becomes the front cover of the new book, and then you read to the middle of the book. And so every one of those books had two stories in it. And so uh, a lot of those ace doubles were, you know, Frederick Paul and Isaac Asimov and uh, all kinds of stuff. So I read, read and read and read and read. I read almost, almost everything I could find. Um, and I had a lot of that fed to me through my, through my aunt's filter yeah, uh, because the books were free, and I could I could read all summer on a book on a pile of books from her. Uh, but I read uh, one summer. I went through the complete works of William Makepeace Thackeray. All right, uh, I read pretty much everything Dostoevsky ever wrote. Um, okay, uh, hated Ivanhoe. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but. Uh, so reading has always sort of been my my go-to and for science fiction um david weber featured prominently recently um in the early days it was all simak stanislaw lamb uh you, you name them i, I read them bradbury um, i didn't want to grow up to be ray bradbury but if I had to be one of them, it would be him. Yeah. Um, but I, it, it, really, it was it was where are the holes in the continuum of possible stories? What are what are stories that I could think of that aren't out there now? And so, you know, the idea that I would write the stories that I wanted to read but couldn't find. Yeah. You know, a lot of a lot of authors write the stories they want to read. But they don't take that extra step to find what are the ones that I want to read that aren't there already. Right. Uh, and so you you run into a lot of um, I won't I won't call them copycats or clones, but you run into a lot of stories that have the sort of same kind of attention to trope. Yeah. I I never met a trope I didn't I couldn't bend. <laughs> and so you know finding a way to bend a trope and tell tell a story that's recognized in its in its niche but doesn't exist in that niche yet yeah uh is is really is really my my puzzle it's really the the intellectual challenge for me i don't i don't care about writing i i don't want to i don't care about writing the great american novel or even a great novel or even really well a good novel is okay yeah. um but i want to i want to write the novel that that some reader is going to pick up and go, cool, this is cool. 
Uh, and so hearing that from you was was quite gratifying. Yeah. When you look at how things have come along since then, as far as technology goes, how cool is it to see some of the advances in technology that kind of mirrors a lot of the science fiction of old uh, in, in modern day? Now, obviously, it's not exactly the same. We don't have flying cars and stuff like that. But, I mean, there is definitely some technological stuff. You know, a, just a cell phone by itself is something straight out of the Jetsons for crying out loud. Or, you yeah. know, talking to your doctor on a, on a screen and having them do all their stuff like that. Like, how is that for you, who's been a big fan, to be able to see this happen? as time progresses uh, it's, uh, every once in a while i stop and think about it and um it, it's i was i was in on the beginning of the internet um i was seventh grade eighth grade and my math teacher um, was an ex-navy intelligence guy who worked at bletchley park during World War II. And so he was tapped into all of this weird stuff all the time. And one night we went, he took us on a field trip to a hotel in town in the grand city of Portland, Maine. And we worked with a teletype operation that linked us to the first hub of the internet through DARPA. Um, and so watching it from, you know, whenever that was, I was 12 or 15 and seeing everything that's happened with the internet since then has been sort of wild, uh, yeah. seeing how, how it's related to science fiction as a whole, um, it, somebody said history is anything that's anything that happened before you were born uh and so it, it's like if people talk about well i'm i'm rotary dial age old or i'm whatever age i'm 48 states aged old <laughs> um, um i'm i'm uh airplane but not space age uh, okay. When I one of quite often it's it strikes me when I I used to travel all the time, and then I would go through an airport and think this was a field. This wasn't an airport. This was a field when I was in high school. Yeah, and you think you know in fifty years uh, the whole there are whole industries have grown up in 10 years there are whole industries that have grown yeah. up um and so what does that what does that look like if you extend that up 200 300 years and what does that do to people do people change in 300 years yeah not, do not they do anything do they do they do anything different in 300 years did they wear different clothes maybe they they wear different fabrics i mean this yeah. fabric didn't come I don't know that this fabric existed when I was a kid. Right. Um, but but do people change? I just I read not too long ago this year. I'm I'm writing I'm reading a classic book a year, a classic book a month. And okay. so I read Tale Trail of Tale of Genji, not this month, but last month. Thousand year old novel. And you know, the people were just as miserable then. <laughs> Uh, the stories, the stories were, the story was pretty much could have been written last week. Um, right. The, what people did, there was people don't change much. Yeah. So telling stories set on an interstellar freighter, there isn't really much difference in telling stories on a sail-powered clipper ship. Yeah. It's you know the the buttons you push, the ropes you pull. That's the only thing that changes. What the people have to live with, what the people have to do, the stories that are going to resonate with the reader are going to be the same stories. Yeah. Just the setting changes. What was the and reason so, for for 
like a setting change because you did the solar clipper series for yeah. quite a while and then you did the Tanith fairport which is a little bit isn't that a little bit more like fantasy than science fiction oh yeah that's i, I there's a story that goes with that all right all right um in 2009 for nanowrimo uh mer lafferty challenged me to write nano to do nanowrimo in half a month uh, because in those days i i had a reputation for writing 10,000 words a day for a few weeks at a time and at 10,000 words a day it doesn't take long to get to 100,000 words right uh so i was i was writing a lot and i had a reputation for writing fast and so Merle Lafferty challenged me to do NaNoWriMo in half a month. So 50,000 words in two weeks instead of a month or 100,000 words for the month. Uh, and she challenged me on Twitter back in the days when Twitter, when you could actually talk to people on Twitter. Yeah. And so she challenged me on Twitter and, and we went back and forth and it's like, oh, no, please don't make me do that. I can't possibly. I wouldn't ever. How could I possibly accept such a challenge and then she'd come <laughs> back to me and she'd she'd goad me a little bit more and finally i ah, reluctantly gave in and said all right i accept your challenge um i will write fifty thousand words in two weeks which is you know okay fine uh and then people started piling on well we know you can write science fiction that fast can you write fantasy I don't know. Maybe. Yeah. And then another the next challenge was, okay, it can't be a man. Your main character has to be a woman. In fantasy, 50,000 words in two weeks. And this is this is mid-October. So I've got about two weeks to come up with something. Okay. Uh, and so I came up with Tana Fairport and said, all right, it's not going to be a girl leaving the farm, getting puberty and magic and can't right. go home again, but saves the world from the ultimate evil. All right. How do I twist those tropes? Right. Uh, right. How do I, how do I, how do I approach this in a different way? Well, okay. What, what if it's not puberty? What if it's menopause when you get magic? And what if what if it's not trying to get home again, but trying to find a home? Or and what if you're not trying to save the world from the ultimate evil, but you're trying to figure out whether or not you're going insane? And so that was Tennis Report. And I, I only expected that to be one book, but when I got to the end of what became Ravenwood, it was like obvious it was going to be at least a trilogy. Yeah. Uh, and so I started writing fantasy. I wrote, uh, I've written, I've written four fantasies now, counting well, five counting the one I did with my daughter. Yeah. And do you uh, enjoy, do you enjoy the little break from sci-fi to do those? Oh yeah, oh yeah. Uh, Wizards Butler was was complete. I needed to write something else. Um, I'd written, I don't know, six or seven, at least six. I think actually seven novels in the deep dark all in a row. And it's like, I need to write something else. <laughs> you know, I like right. steak, but, I, you know, having steak 17, 17 times in a row is not exactly. Give me some soup. I mean, <laughs> Let, let's talk about the wizard's butler because it may, it may not be fully me on, but it might be lobster and crab or, you know, something else because uh, to let you know, I came across a wizard's butler probably 2021 and i don't remember if it was if it was somebody suggested it to me online like on a facebook or something or if it was just audible said we suggest this based on other things that you've been doing uh -huh. and i sat down and to this day i go this is the best this is one of my favorite stories of the last probably 10 years that i've that i've read and or listened to in, in my case it was listened to just because it was so fresh and it was so different and I was so intrigued by the characters and I wasn't sure, is this an urban fantasy or is this a mystery? Is this, yeah. you know, what is the story? What is it? Um, and I've probably listened to it probably four or five times uh, <laughs> since then, 
just, you know, anytime, anytime I'm like, I've got some free time. I don't have a book I need to do. I don't have an author coming on the show anytime super soon that I need to, that I don't already, haven't already listened to their stuff. Um, what are you going to listen to? Wizards Butler. <laughs> and so, it was, yeah, it was a labor of love. It was like, I need to write something else. And so I asked, I asked the fans of what they thought I should write. That wasn't Ishmael Wong. It wasn't science fiction. That wasn't set in the same golden age place. And of course, 90% of them were more Ishmael Wong in the golden age. Um, a, a bunch of them were, really? I don't know. And then uh, the last one, the guy caught me on Facebook on chat and said, what if, what if it was, you know, Mickey and Fantasia? the wizard's apprentice what if what if it was mickey but he wasn't magical so he couldn't get in trouble and i said what like the wizard's butler and he said yeah and i went what the hell <laughs> huh what and it was done i mean i was hooked at that point i couldn't i couldn't get beyond the idea of what would a wizard's butler be yeah you know it's like is is the wizard like stone tower is sparkling robes and a pointy hat wizard is he is he like harry dresden wizard is he what i mean why would he need a butler and so it's like all right why does anybody need a butler you know they need a butler to manage their household why do they need to manage their household? well they got they're too busy doing whatever it is that they're doing which yeah. means they're probably rich and they can afford to pay a butler and would they hire a butler who wasn't magical right are there magical butlers i i don't know could be but the task was to write one that wasn't magical and so it's like okay well we did a little brain. I did a little brainstorm with a friend, and we determined that what the wizard's problem was basically just. And then I sat down one day and said, "All right, we're going to write the wizard's butler," and it just took off. Yeah, I I ripped it out in I think three weeks. Oh wow! Um, uh, and just it just flowed out and it was so much fun to write and because i didn't have to worry about continuity or what they said before or what happened what happened five books before that one or is there another character that that this guy's supposed to know but doesn't and it's like no this is a whole new universe i don't have to worry about continuity i don't have to worry about previous books i just have to worry about what did he do yeah before the book started and so my my process of what just happened so that I can write right. what happens next. And what just happened was that he, he needed a job and he got an ad. And so he showed up at the front door Yeah, and, and Naomi Patchett happened. <laughs> what kind of research did you have to do for that? Or was a lot of this information? Cause like, uh, some of the books, like the on cooking book is a real book. Like it's a real, that's a real book. book. It's yeah. really out there. Like, was that that's something really that just came across in like, were you researching it or did you just yeah. have your no, own copy or? No, I don't have my own copy, but I'm a bit of, I, I've been a bit of a foodie. And so I knew there was a book. I just didn't know what it was called. Uh, the The Butler handbook that he, he looked at, that's actual book. I have a copy of that one. Oh, okay. Um, uh, I, I looked up like Butler schools and I mm -hmm. looked up what, what butlers do and, and how butlers work. Because the, the, the sort of upstairs, downstairs, Downton Abbey, tv movie image of butlers isn't necessarily too far off the mark but it's also right. not very close to the mark either yeah there's a lot of stuff that butlers do that is kind of like hmm yeah uh and mostly it's management but in a household where the only staff is you yeah you know, my challenge is to try to figure out, okay, well, what would the butler do if you're the only one? Well, you're the butler, you're the cook, you're the chauffeur. Security. Uh, <laughs> security, you're the valet. Uh, 
planner, scheduler. Of, <laughs> scheduler. You got to do a bunch of stuff. And then in the meantime, um, emergently old Joseph Perry Shackleford is sitting upstairs, slowly leaking his brain out of his ears. And how do we deal with that? And right. then Naomi Patchett is always there poking at him. Like, ah, and then, then uh, Fidelia Neckett shows up at the front door and it's like, oh, yeah. 90-year-old mountain climber. Yeah. <laughs> like I said, I just love the way that it's kind of a mystery throughout. And just as one question gets answered, you have three more mysteries to solve as yeah. the as the story progresses. Was the was the mystery-ish element intentional or did, was that just a happenstance? Uh well, it's like I, I didn't want to solve it too soon. But one of the beauties of, of being a writer is that you have a time machine. And so you write it along, you write it along, you write it along, you write it along, you get to the end. And then you think, I need to have this thing here, way back there. So I just open the word processing file and put it in. Yeah. Um, I can go back in time in the story and have it fit. And so the first pass through was was actually pretty clean. I was I was sort of surprised how how well it came together right off the bat. But I mean, starting with the guys in EMT, that's a clue. Yeah. Or was an EMT? That's a clue. Was, yeah. Or that he was in Afghanistan. That's a clue. Right. Um, so he had to have a reasonable background to do the things that he was going to do. Um, and from that point forward, because I really only knew one thing that was going to happen near the end of the book, everything else just sort of fell apart. Everything else just sort of was like, okay, well, what happens next? What happens next? What happens next? Oh, I got to have something happen next. Um, and I'm not going to, I'm not going to throw in a dead body. Right. Uh, so what would the butler have to do next? And what would Shackelford need the butler to do next, even if Shackelford doesn't know enough to ask him for it? Um, right. What would, you know, who is, who is this Otello Bruna person? And why why does, what what happened? What happened to Shackelford's sister? Right. Uh, and, and, he's got a nephew out there somewhere what happened to him uh, and so there's all of these loose ends now that i i can now explore but i just sort of threw them in there just for fun and before i knew it i had sort of a fantastical mystery tour yeah yeah well and having those loose ends gives you something to do down the road for future possible books as well well yeah now i've got to write a sequel there was supposed to be a one-off but now i've got to write a sequel podium's waiting for the wizard's cat I am I'm very excited about that. Is there is okay, you might completely say I can't tell you anything if if you can't tell me. Is this something is this cat new or is it like a metaphor or is it something that's been there the whole time and we just don't realize it? Oh no, cat's new. This is a new the cat's new. Okay. The cat's new. Uh, it was it was one of those weird things. It's like, okay, you got to write a sequel to The Wizard's Butler. What else doesn't a wizard need? <laughs> okay a wizard doesn't need a cat uh and there's a there's a running gag on the science on the uh golden age group um about spitting on the deck and calling the cat rude names and right what do we do we have a cat <laughs> uh, and so the, the facebook group actually has a cat and the cat is lobbying to have a cat brought into the story okay and so the wizard's cat is sort of like a nod to the to the running gag about not having a cat on board that's great uh, but but really it, it was like what else doesn't a wizard need yeah well, it doesn't need a cat and then with somebody's somebody said what if what kind of problems would a cat wouldn't wouldn't the cat bother the pixies um why would a cat bother the pixies? <gasps> Why would the cat bother the pixies? Okay, there's that's something I can work with. Yeah, that's something I can work with. And I've I've written like 150,000 words of this book, but 
none of them go together so i'm gonna toss those out and start again okay <laughs> but as soon as i get done with uh, the formatting of this this next ishmael wong book i'm going to dig into the wizards the wizard's cat um i've had a lot of time to think about the wizard's cat and i've got some ideas i'm kind That's of awesome. looking forward to get to you have three new books coming out right yep uh in the summer oh. clipper show series series ishmael wong and company do you have an idea of of dates or rough months or anything like that that you're hoping that you can say in theory i'm going to have a cover for the first book school's out um i'm going to have a cover for that mid-month may okay um i'm hoping i'm going to have a cover mid-month may and i'm hoping i'm going to have the book formatted and ready to go when the cover drops so when the cover drops so will the book okay so we're hoping um, the, you know within the next couple of months before the end of the year for sure no oh yeah within the within the next within the next certainly within the next couple of months i'm it, the covers are supposed to drop may june july uh, i'm supposed to get them from the artist in may june and july um the second book is already with the editor the third book i'm just finishing now uh that will go to the editor probably next week um i've already reserved the editing slot so i'm just waiting for her availability to get the books done okay she takes about a month so you know I, she's finished book one she's got book two she's probably not gonna be able to start book two for another week or two and a month later i'll have book two back from her which and i still won't have according to the schedule i still won't have a cover for it so that's going to have to wait for a bit but i would i would not be surprised to see june july august um i i hesitate to give dates because right i dates you never know date, this sort of magical thing that if i give you a date that's the date it won't happen right <laughs> and so i try not to give dates but it would not surprise me to see something happen like june july august okay or at least for the text versions the audiobooks are going to take a little bit more longer. work yeah. yeah well i don't have any control over them yeah so do you but, enjoy do you listen to your own audiobooks at all or are you just like i wrote it i'm done no i wrote it i'm done okay i don't i i i've listened to snippets of it here and there um i get i got tired of hearing my own stories in my own voice when i was trying to do the editing right that's I why i was kind of curious because you you had read it for so long i was wondering if you like didn't want to hear somebody else voicing it and if you've had issues with that or not or because i know no, I would, if i were to do something i'd be like gosh i can't like if somebody else were to do like if i were sick and somebody else were to do this show i don't know if i could watch it because i'd be so nitpicky about it oh it's it's more a factor of time okay it's like i don't have t i don't have time for audio anymore um when if i back when i had an hour-long commute each way i had time for audio yeah uh i don't have time for audio now uh if i if I'm not doing something on the computer, uh, I'm I'm reading, and if I'm reading, I don't need. I can use my eyes. I don't need to have it be my ears. Yeah. Uh, and so, if I can read with my eyes, I read a lot faster than most people narrate. Uh, which yep. I hear that is quite a bit, actually. Good and bad, uh, but you know, I read like 900 words a minute, and most narrators only get 5,000 words in a half an hour. Yeah, because your brain goes faster than a mouth can. Yeah, my uh, my brain goes faster than my fingers can type. So <laughs> typing typing speed is not my bottleneck. <laughs> you also have a podcast, talking on my I morning do. walk. Yeah. Uh, how are you enjoying doing that? Oh, it's good to be back. Yeah. Um, it's uh, one of those low trauma things. I don't have to. I don't have to think about it very much. Uh, the the uh, the deal with it is I'm going to talk about what I'm thinking about. Yeah. And quite often it's just me walking along. Somebody somebody talked about the episodes that are the best of Nathan's boots. The only thing you hear is me walking on the sidewalk. Yeah. <laughs> and that but, can be found on your website for those that are listening, yep. which we'll talk yep. about here and we'll we'll plug that at website address here in a bit. What are what was the inspiration of doing the talking on my morning walk? Where was it just you had a love for podcasting and you wanted uh, to do this, or, or no, no, no? It was uh, uh, 
it actually has to do with where I want to spend my time. And I want to spend my time writing new stories. I don't want to spend my time writing blog posts or sending newsletters. Um, you know, the common wisdom of, well, you need to send a newsletter every week, or you need to write three blog posts every week, or you got to do this, or you got to do that. And I'm like, no, no, actually, what I've got to do is write a new book. Yeah. Um, the bread gets buttered on a new book. And so I have to write a new story. That's why I don't narrate anymore. I don't have time to narrate anymore. I don't have time to listen, let alone read, right. uh, to, to narrate and do all of the production work that goes along with narration. And so I stopped writing blog posts. I write a blog post once a month. Every month on the first, I publish a blog post and it's just real plain. Uh, this is what's this is what's this is what I'm doing. This is what I read. This is what I'm going to do next. Have a nice week. Have a nice month. I'll yeah. talk to you next month. <laughs> and then the newsletter I send out once a month on the 15th. So people who want to follow what I'm doing can get one or two updates a month, depending on how hardcore they get. The blog has an RSS feed, so you can get it on RSS. Uh, but so does the podcast. Mm -hmm. uh, you can get that on RSS. Uh, the newsletter, the newsletter is a newsletter. You have to sign up for the newsletter. Yeah. But then I had people saying, well, I, I don't, I want to know what you're doing today. I want to know what you're doing this week. I want to know. And I'm like, well, I don't want to take the time. But yeah. I had to, I was walking, I, I need to walk for my health. And so I was walking two miles a day. And so I thought, well, all right. Uh, I had a recorder in my pocket with my phone. And I only needed a microphone. And I didn't really need a microphone because I had, you know, the wired headset thing. Yeah. Um, and so I started walking for a mile and talking for a mile. And so I pick it up. There's a particular stop sign that's halfway around the loop and I start talking and record what I talk and when I get home I publish it. I occasionally have to chip out a piece or two and the other day I inadvertently recorded a neighbor. We had a conversation that and I didn't. Yeah, yeah. I didn't I didn't get permission to record them so I just I just clipped it out. Yeah. Uh, but I I've, I've actually had a couple of guests who I <clears throat> I don't, I, as a podcaster, you probably get the emails from people who would love to be a guest on your show. Yeah. Uh, and I always write back and say, I would be, I would be happy to have them um, be a guest on my show. Uh, but you have to understand, they have to come to Greeley, and they have to be willing to walk two miles at six o'clock in the morning. <laughs> and I'm, I'm always, I'm always happy to have that Dave, uh, Dave Robinson who I've known for years now, uh, came out. He was, he's been, he's, he's been a guest on my show a couple of times. Okay. Uh, and the first time he came in and he, we walked through, we did the walk and we did the talk and we, we went around the corner and, and he got back and he said, you know, this is pretty cool. We, what would you think if I started one? I said, Go for it. And so he's, he has, this, he has his own podcast now, North Pond yes. Monologues. Uh, and he's no longer, living in Chicago. He's no longer at, walking around the North Pond in Chicago. Yeah. Uh, he's in Portland now, but he's, it's still the North Pond Monologues. And so he's still doing it. He's at like episode 700 or something. Nice. Uh, and he walks most days. It's like, uh, I don't, I try to walk most days. Uh, ideally, I would walk every day. Um, some days the recording fails. Some days the weather's crap. Some days, yeah. you know, last year, some days I was too sick. Yeah um but some days it's too cold uh, some, day, <laughs> some days it's it's too hot uh i don't i don't get out early enough in the morning and it's too hot i don't walk when it's more than 70 i don't walk when it's below 10. Uh, it's outdoors I, yeah i'm not gonna i'm old i'm not gonna risk my life for right. a walk in the park yeah that's understandable for sure but yeah so yeah i do the podcast but it's it's mostly just um in a lot of ways it's like morning pages it's it's sort of like a journal of what am i thinking about what am i doing i talk i talk about what i'm writing i talk about 
I try not to put spoilers out. Yeah, uh, it's like you can talk about you can talk about maybe what you're thinking, but you can't talk about what you're writing too closely. Right. Uh, but it's it's like well maybe we do this or maybe we could do that. And, oh look geese. <laughs> geese, geese are my favorite i i know we get a lot of geese here a couple certain times of the year and and having the big flock of geese fly overhead honking the waves it's like yeah okay this is cool um, i think the big thing this this month is the, the lilacs are beginning to bud yeah scintillating stuff well this time of year when the well not this time of the year for me but in a couple weeks when the lilacs start to bloom that's when i go looking for morel mushrooms in the in the woods mm, mm. so yeah i definitely i definitely understand you on on that and the going out and getting some exercise I, I need to do more of that myself personally but uh but i don't so i will take inspiration from you and get out there and and do a little bit more of that so i appreciate you being here i appreciate you being on the show you are on facebook at backslash nathan dot O dot Lowell. You're on Instagram yeah, so. at Nathan dot Lowell and your website, yeah. Nathan Lowell.com. Yep. So everybody who's listening to the podcast, you can go to those sites. You can check out the talking on my morning walk there. You can check up all this stuff. He's got a pretty great website with all kinds of great information on there and Thanks. links all over the place. So make sure to go and check it out, go and check out the books. His new books are coming out here, hopefully in the next couple months. So make sure you go and check those out. And if you have never heard of some of them, go back and check out the backlog, check them all out, whether you get them on audiobook, patio book or physical copies or e-reads, go and check out Nathan Lowell stuff. It's you won't be disappointed. I promise you. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, friends and enemies, heroes and villains, May 8th, we're going to be joined by Sovereignty Games Community Manager, Danny Efforts. Sovereignty is one of the leading companies bringing you your favorite tabletop board games into the digital world. She's going to talk to us about the company and the future of digital games, as well as the companies that they're working with. That podcast is going to be available to listen to May 9th, but of course you can come in and join the Q&A sessions and watch it live on May 8th. May 22nd, joining us is the creator of the tabletop role-playing game Mutants and Masterminds. It's a superhero RPG, if you've never heard of it, Steve Kinson. He's also the author of many tie-in novels for games like Shadowrun, Crimson Crimson Skies, Mech Warriors, and more. Not to mention, he also has worked for FASA, D&D, and a ton ton of other companies. So that podcast is going to be available May 23rd. So please go ahead, rate, and review the least we can ask it helps us and it helps our guests so for nathan lowell i am nick and i want to thank you all for listening to epic realms well there you are i hope you enjoyed yourselves and i do hope that you come back and join us again for epic realms (laughs) 